Welcome to Discover Energy Work. Today's um, very, I'm very excited today. Uh, I've got a guest which uh, I wasn't expecting to have so quickly and I'm really thrilled. Um, I have Rolf Kramer who is the developer of uh, Mind Walking and this is something you might not be familiar with. He's written two books on it and it is absolutely amazing. Although we might not describe it traditionally as energy work, when I started reading those books, I can say I felt I could learn a lot from talking to uh, Rolf. So welcome, Rolf. Thank you very much for coming. Hi, Richard. So um, can you give a little you know, background to you? I know you're a psychologist uh, with a master's degree in psychology and a lot of experience. And uh... Well, um, when I studied psychology that's um, in the mid 70s mm. uh, there was a lot of conditioning therapy going on at, uh, sorry con conditioning theory going on at the time so in other words it was stimulus response and chasing rats through mazes to see what they do about getting the cheese when they get electroshocked on the way and um, then we had personality inventories and intelligence tests and that sort of thing. And um, that was not what I came to find out about. And at the same time, uh, there was this influx from the East, yoga, meditation, all sorts of strange books and terrible photocopies. Mm. And that is what I, I guzzled down with great um, uh, uh, enthusiasm. So basically I studied two things at a time. And when I finished, um, I saw I couldn't practice uh, psychology in the way it was done at the time. So mm. I went to find my own way, which involved doing a number of years uh, hitchhiking around the planet, which involved um, studying with all sorts of people doing all sorts of seminars. And what really helped me is the um, Western scientific um, call it mental set because the logics of science are very helpful when it comes to investigating things and um, so I ran into phenomena through meditation and LSD uh, which made me think and then I said well all right if this is possible it should be possible all the time and not only when I meditate or when I take LSD and that started my research basically and um, I sat down with people and um, just basically played around with recall. And sooner or later, it turned out that by applying standard psychology te techniques, you could break the barrier to past lives and to telepathic phenomena and got in contact with other planets and, and uh, non-physical beings and whatnot. So it was very exciting to find all that out. And it, it became formalized and sooner or later somebody called it mind walking. It wasn't actually me called it mind walking. It was in Australia. I did a seminar tour and they said, what do you call your stuff? And I said, well, it's called personal analysis and coaching. And they said, nobody in Australia can pronounce that. So we had a bit <laughs> of a brainstorm. And after the brainstorm, we came up with mind walking. Right. I mean, it sounds fascinating. Can I can I take you back sort of, um, I mean, LSD, I mean, that, that's already, you know, quite amazing. Um, there was a time when that was something which was was legal. Um, obviously, uh, Stanislav Kov and um, uh, now I've forgotten 
who else uh, work with LSD, but um, I mean, this was something which was potentially a wonder drug. Did you have like experiences uh, with your LSD that you could say like there's telepathy going on and past lives? Is that something that was woken up for you? No, not at all. Um, LSD, I, I took a, a number of trips under rather controlled conditions because I found that I get very um, sensitive to all sorts of influences like noises and stuff like that. So mm. I picked my environment and um, uh, most of these trips were very peaceful. In other words, no uh, bad trips. And what I found is my perception to be extremely heightened uh, to the, talking about energy work, to, to feel the energy, to feel the energy between people going back and forth, to watch um, horses on a field and see how they interacted, although they were hundreds of meters away and you felt the pulses going on between the horses. And that sort of perception um, was fascinating. And so it's more in the realm of telepathy. And you, you look at plants and you see how, how shall I say, the intention to grow, whether that sort of stuff, that was what really got at me on LSD. And I thought, why can't I see that without the drug? And that's what got me studying. Well, fantastic. Yeah, I mean, um, I can see that. I can see that. Um, um, making you interested in uh, or, you know my experience of uh, energy work as well with the uh, the Taoist uh, with the Taoist teacher and also you know what I was thinking is is immediately um, nowadays it seems that you know with um, mindfulness that it's almost like um, talk about cultural appropriation um, the uh, the whole of the Western world is talking about mindfulness and it's like, yeah, we've got this new thing. It's called mindfulness. And we can look and we, we could say, well, looks like meditation to me without like take it some, some words and ideologies and idols and um, symbols taken away. It's quite similar. Don't you think? Or do you think um, that differently? I, I think mindfulness is just a very thin, cliche of uh, the real thing because um, mindfulness entails participation and not just looking in a sort of disengaged way. Um, I'm talking about that, I'm, I'm saying this on my um, mind walking experience on that background. When you are dealing with other people uh, in, in a session and they get into the hard parts of a traumatic incident, you have to be mindful, which means you have to pay attention to anything they say, to any reaction they have, and you have to be empathic at the same time. In other words, you have to get the facts and you have to get the feeling and you have to live with it. And that is quite demanding. And when you are, in a telepathic connection with some angelic or demonic being out there in the, in the spiritual world, which happens when you do your mind walking solo. Solo means you do it by yourself without a session guide. When you do these solo sessions and get into these contexts, you do have to be mindful 1000% uh, because you have your 
your, your reads on your um, galvanic skin response meter, which is your feedback. You have what you get from the other side and you have to be with him and uh, love him for whatever bastard he may be. And that sort of mindfulness, I wasn't taught or I haven't seen being taught in psychology. Right. Okay. Well, that, I mean, that, yes, that is true. Uh, with, um, um, and it brings me to, like, you, you've unpacked a load of boxes all at once, which I love. Um, <laughs> you know, angels, self, uh, you know, there's a certain amount of uh, working with yourself, self-work, which is, which is, you know, enormously powerful um, and, and, you know, quite challenging. And then there's the whole um, uh, to to work with anybody to to develop that level of empathy and compassion. That's a lot of work in itself. So there's that. Right. And then and then I'm I'm still I'm curious about your journey. At what point did you uh, you know suddenly realize? Can you, is there a story around how you realized that that you'd stumbled on something? So is it like you were talking with somebody and you ask certain questions, or was the was the gal so the galvanic skin response meter that you're using called the Mind Walker? Um, you know, at what point that came in? I mean, it's really just it's just fascinating to to try and understand the the genesis for you, where you feel like you're going, ah, oh, I'm on I'm onto something which is um, something which I can call new and unique. Uh, you have a, a mind walker right there. You showed it to me before to show it to, to people so they understand what that is. Yeah, it's got electrodes. In this case, it's one hand electrodes with an isolator and insulator in between. And it's got a, a, a needle which, which wriggles about and that gives you feedback. Um, to answer your question, no, there was no such enlightening moment. It was a gradual approach. You see, the age group I belong to, um, there was very, how shall I say, post-war factual and things like past lives you wouldn't even mention. Mm. And um, the, the top end of the scale was horoscopes in your radio, uh, in, your, in your radio magazine once a week. Right. So um, the whole idea of um, cracking, a traumatic incident by regularly studying it was not taught anywhere. So basically I found out that, um, I have to start on, the, on, a, on another end, by asking people to describe what they see, uh, I found that this is a relief. So just listening and getting them to describe is a relief, which is in a way Rogerian uh, therapy, uh, um, oh, is, yeah. a client-centered therapy, but then you have to keep people on the line because in client-centered therapy, they, they wander off easily. So you, you take a subject and the subject, for example, is um, uh, I, uh, I'm, I'm, I'm afraid in, in, in I can't, I can't fly in airplanes because um, I can't sit in trains because I always have the feeling I can't get out. So I can't get out is uh, some pattern which the person has and follows and doesn't like to have it and follow it. So where does this come from? 
So you ask the person to describe moments when he couldn't get out. And by describing the picture, he gets the memory image, he feels relieved. So I found that you don't have to explain anything, that you don't have to put it in a theoretical framework, that you don't have to interpret it, uh, but you just listen and get the person to stand up to his own memory image, which people are afraid to do. Because the moment when the truck hit your uh, thigh bone and the thigh bone broke, that is the moment you don't want to re-experience. So by getting people to to re-experience the very thing that hurt the most, um, they will, after a while, get through that and feel relief. And applying that principle, I found that people would tell the stories of within their life. And some of these stories were very cruel, being beaten by parents or being locked away or starved or whatever parents do to kids mm -hmm. but then after like this, this kid got locked up in a in a in a in a in a dark chamber in, in the house or in the cellar and he felt I can't get out mm -hmm. so you think well that's terrible but that wasn't it because he said okay now I told this I don't feel a relief so you go okay and now that you've told me all the stories you know and you can easily recall is anything on your mind you didn't tell me because it seemed too outrageous and he says well yes I, I kept seeing a dungeon for the last few minutes so you go okay what dungeon and all of a sudden you are in a dungeon where he died chained to the wall in 1656 and you don't comment on this. You just listen and get him to describe it and listen and get him to describe it. And then finally it blows off and he feels relieved and that's the end of that. So this is a gradual discovery. Mm, uh, starting, starting with past lives and then seeing that they say, well, I don't know. I feel something's coming in from the left. So what's coming in from the left? Well, I see some sort of gruesome mask face there. So what gruesome mask face? And then you suddenly are, suddenly are in contact with, contact with a demonic entity. So the trick I found gradually was let people describe their images in all detail, encourage them to stand up to them, and they will come to their truth. And the moment the truth is found, there's relief. That's the story. It, it's... It's fascinating. I, I tell you why. For, my, for me, I find it fascinating because what do we normally do? We, um, and, and as therapists, people say, oh, no, 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 don't make him think of that. Don't let him go back and experience his trauma. So in a way, what I'm understanding is you're doing the counterintuitive thing. You're saying, yes, I'm going to go, you know where those shots are coming from? I'm going to run towards them. Yeah, I'm going to run to find out what, what, is, what that is that, that's shooting. Yeah, as it were. A bit of a bit of an extreme uh, uh, metaphor, but it, it's it seems to me certainly you know I know from my own experience of therapy you know um, the things which I'm afraid of I'm really afraid of like you know deathly scared of and uh, to the point of almost um, uh, nihilistically you know I I wanted to to rather die than than experience it and right. so it automatically brings. Uh, you know that well I mean to a certain extent it's then what wonder that you've said no yeah we, we need to go in that direction it's kind of yeah. totally counterintuitive I imagine you got some kickback about it as well 
Well, not really, because I'm generally ignored by the um, professional world. But I know that in the professional world, there's a great warning sign saying, don't re-traumatize. Mm. But you see, they don't work on the time schedule I have. When right. you go 45 minutes per week, you don't get very far. And you don't want to make sure to, to not kick someone in at the deep end. But I'm working from nine to six, two or three days in a row mm. with breaks. Because the client wants that, the session partner wants to find the bone that's buried someplace. And once he's got the, 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 the scent in his nose, like a hunting dog, he will not let go. So uh, people are keen to re-experience the various stuff they don't want to re-experience. So the main job of the session guide is to encourage them and in a very big way, be mindful because you can't force anyone but when you shy back, you don't help him. So there's a fine line between being, how shall I say, strict and encouraging and being accommodating. And that takes you to the end result. It's also, um, so that brings us to the second point. It's like your sessions are, would you say they're open-ended? Is it, it's a phenomenal, phenomenon-led session it's not a it's not we start at two and we finish at 245 it's uh it's you know it's as long as it goes well we have found in mind walking that to come to an end result i'll explain that in a moment uh or at least to good um in between result we need anything between 10 and 15 hours and that's why we make our appointments for three days whether we take them or not, whether we need them or not. So it may be over after 12 hours, it may take 16, you don't know that. And the end result is that the person in question can speak about his cruel death in the dungeon after having been tortured in all sorts of ways with a smile on his face. So the moment he isn't touched by it anymore and he can giggle about it, and how stupid could I be to fall into the hands of these bastards? If that's the case, he's through it. And that can be attained within not too many hours. Right, so, so um, 15 hours for most people would already um, be, you know, I think at, in like thinking of somebody going in for a block of 15 hours when they're normally, they could be in therapy for um, weeks and months. It, it seems like it's, it makes, well, sense. It, it makes sense, but it's totally, totally different. Um, well, in, in psychoanalysis, you know, it takes years and uh, it, 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 it's, always symbolic interpretation. Nobody's really asking what you have experienced. So this is very off mainstream, what I'm doing, I'm aware of that. Right. So, um, yeah, um, well, that's already, it already makes it very interesting. So um, when people uh, have come to you, um, what sort of issues are they normal? I mean, how do they hear about you? I mean, I guess they hear about it from people you've worked with, but I mean, and then what sort of issues do you sort of tend to be working with? Well, uh, these days, um, people use the internet and um, try to find uh, um, something that might help them. So they put in fear or panic or, or, um, 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 compulsion or something, and then they or 
in a in a in a stillness or whatever, and then they try to find seminars or, or helpers in any way, psychotherapists or whoever, mm -hmm. and that's how they find me. And then they see a video, and then they buy a book, and then eventually they call me. Um, people uh, come to mind walking. I'm not speaking for myself, but for for the people I've trained with the sort of issue they feel uh, has bugged them all through their life as a sort of keynote uh, that, that has never changed and hasn't, has been resistive to change by whatever they have tried previously. And um, that is expressed. So we do an initial interview to find out, well, what are you, what's your problem? And uh, that interview will lead to what we call a negative program. So I can't get out is a negative program. It is something that determines him negatively. He can't resist it. It forces compulsory behavior on him and he can't change it either, although he knows it. And uh, most of everybody has that sort of thing. Um, even very powerful people, uh, uh, wealthy people, successful people have one corner where they feel they can't operate the way they want to. Mm. And then of course, the big question, uh, which many, many people come for is, what's, what sense does this life make? Why am I here? Where on earth did I come from before I was here? Where am I going? Why do I do what I'm doing? What, why don't I do what I should be doing, but I don't know what it is that I should be doing? In other words, this whole big thing about uh, the whole point, you might call it, uh, mm. is a major issue in life in mind walking sessions. It, it's, um, I mean, when I look at the book, uh, you've written um, two books. Um, they're both called um, Unbounded, I believe. And uh, that's one that that you know, hold me, there you are. There's two, and it's quite interesting. Unbounded one has this picture of uh, a human head and the world, and unbounded two, we're I think we're on a, a moon or something, uh, or a oh, it's out it's outer space, the spiritual unlimited world. Right. It's well. Um, so we're already we're already like going out there, I suppose. Where I'd like to, where I'd like to sort of slowly, uh, you know, broach it is um, when you have people who've come in and they start experiencing or talking about past lives. Um, um, yeah, I mean, what 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 happens there? I mean, do they just do they are they really shocked that they're now you know experiencing like I have a past life? I'm a I'm a a fervent Christian and I don't believe in past lives or whatever, but I know now I have this uh, deep uh, feeling that this is like a knowing that this is, this is real. Yeah. Um, what, what happens for them? Do you? The session partners we usually have um, are not, um, Particularly, particularly educated in the, call it esoteric uh, lore uh, of angels and past lives and whatnot, 
that's at the time when I wrote these books. That's um, 20 years ago. People came in sort of um, uh, quite naively. Uh, nowadays, it's different. Everybody knows about past lives and demons and angels because the internet is full of that and then grays and reptiles and, and then spaceships and whatnot. But when I started out in the 90s, people weren't aware of that. So the stuff we found was totally original and people were um, uh, correspondingly shocked by what they found. Uh, but now, it, and then I wrote these books and I thought, oh my God, what happens now? Because people will read the book and tell me what they wrote, what they read in the book. But it's still authentic up to this day because everybody finds their own story. Now you're asking how this uh, comes about when it happens. So you take a session partner who has no, um, call it, no big ideas about anything. He just has this thing of, I can't get out. So he tells you the various stories of his life. Uh, some of them are cruel and uh, disgusting. And then he comes to the end of that and that takes about two or three hours. It doesn't take very long. Um, uh, and then he says, well, that, that's it, but I don't feel good about it. So you say, uh, is there anything you didn't tell me yet because it doesn't seem to be part of it. And now he may say, well, I suddenly feel terribly cold and I, uh, I, I feel my, my, my neck is funny. I think we should take a break. I need to take a walk. So you say, knowing that he is, we call this dramatization, he is replaying something of his past and hasn't seen the image yet. So you would say, okay, now if you have your neck going like this and if, if you feel cold, what sort of situation would a person have to be in to experience that sort of stuff? And then the client will go, ho, ho, he might sit in a cellar like in a dungeon, ho, ho. And he thinks that's very funny. And then he says, well, saying that, what do you actually see? Then it starts shaking and then he gets into the thing and he feels, he feels like that man back then who suffered to his death. And that re-experiencing comes gradually. It, it extends over a number of hours. It comes bit by bit, uh, salami technique, so to speak. And you go through the same incident, perhaps five, 10, 15 times, because with each time a new discovery, a new load of discharge comes through until it's emotionally clean and all the facts are clear. Meaning to say that people will get somatics and emotions even before they see the image, which proves that they don't fantasize. Right. You see what I mean? I see what you mean. You were saying like this. So in your example, which I'm taking is uh, loosely based on your your real case case uh, experiences. They're physically shaking. They're physically going, yeah, ha ha. Well, I'm, but I am shaking. Um, I, I had an experience. Um, of, um, of being taken up to heaven uh, during with a very spiritual lady. And it was an incredible experience, but I wasn't taking it seriously because I couldn't see anything. And then she said, oh, you're going into the light. And I'm thinking, yeah, whatever. And my, my body went, <gasps> and I went, well, what? Why did my body do that? Because I'm feeling, you know, I'm not feeling anything in particular. 
And then she took me and she said, okay, well, I'm going to bring you into the presence of God. And, uh, and to cut a long story short, uh, again, I had that breath. <gasps> and I was like, whoa, this is very unusual. And then within a couple of minutes of um, getting near to God, I totally was, well, I wouldn't say I was sobbing. I was, I was uh, like a drain. I was crying like a drain. So something was going through my whole body, releasing on a very, very deep level. And, and I'm, I'm thinking, but I've done hypnosis. I've done an NLP. Yeah. <laughs> you know, well, we, you know, we've been everywhere with that. What, what is going on here? It's obviously something different and I need to reassess. Uh, and I was exhausted for three days after that experience. Um, and that, okay, I understand that's not mind walking, but it's, it, it, it says this is an experience where the body is, is giving us confirmation that something's going on. And you have your um, uh, galvanic skin response, your GSR machine called the mind walker, which you, you've, you've worked with somebody in England that you've uh, uh, made it. Um, uh, the person who makes it in England is an old friend, and he he, he put a new line in of machines, and um, he was nice enough to call them Mindwalker. So Mindwalker is his trade name, and Mindwalking is my trade name, and just mm -hmm. coincided that he he used that name for himself. Okay, good. Okay, that clears that up. Um, what, you, what you've just said is uh, a very good example of a... a a grand release, which is felt as a discharge, uh, coming up as tears and a shaking of the body. Yeah. And um, in mind walking, we have the same thing, except it would come sort of more gradual. Uh, the lady you're talking about um, uh, pointed out something to you, and you were ready to go that way, or sort of jump in from the from the um, five meter jumping board, as it were. Um, and uh, so you were lucky to have had that experience. It might have gone. Absolutely. absolutely. It, it, might have been, it might have been uneventful or it might have been um, uh, too terrible. So it just worked for you. But essentially, it is that the re experiencing of a past situation of, in that case, um, great freedom will evoke plenty of tears because it involves loss. It means you aren't now as free as you were then. It reminds you of great times of the past or other levels of existence and that uh, releases a lot of grief charge. That's natural. So it is something very good happened for you there. Right. Uh, well, yeah, I mean, it, it, it it happened in a very organic way. I, I literally, I was, I was in Hong Kong and I, I sat down on one day and I said, I, I'm doing all this energy work, but there's, I feel I need to connect with spirit. Something's missing. I'm just, I'm just working on a superficial level. And I, and I said, thinking up for whatever reason, I said, I, need, I want to connect to spirit. I'm, I'm ready. And the next day I met this lady and we arranged to meet and we didn't meet. And then of course I bump in, I, actually I bumped into her and I bumped into her again and in Hong Kong you don't bump into people and I, I might bump into her again like two weeks later I'm like okay I and then she sat down and she told me that when she was uh, 24 she was an atheist and she's on the ward in 
in Hong Kong, uh, not in Hong Kong, in New Zealand. And uh, Mary appeared as a full um, apparition and she could see her. She's an atheist, but she could see Mary. Nobody else could. could. And uh, uh, that was when a spiritual opening happened for her. And Mary became a teacher for her uh, over a period of like, a period of years. And she got um, introduced to other spiritual teachers. But it there was there was no shamanic. Um, you know, she wasn't part of a shamanic family. She hadn't gone looking for it. It had just broken through into her daily life, um, which was yeah. Which is, again, that's sort of one of the reasons that I wanted to start the podcast is to say, you know, these things actually, they do happen. You're not crazy. Um, in fact, you might be just becoming a little bit more sane. Um, and, uh, um, but, uh, and it's really crazy to think that they don't happen. That's the true craziness, um, in, my, in my opinion. Um, now, I can, I can confirm that. Um, so many people have that have had experiences of their nature and never mentioned them to anyone and don't know what they mean, but they feel there is a great big something somewhere that is worth exploring. And um, the moment, you see, as a mind-walking session guide, you have had your own lot of sessions. So you're putting a very big space there. So the client can expand into this space uh, very trustfully and he will tell you things which he doesn't even tell himself usually. And most people have had spiritual experiences of um, significant uh, importance to them. And on picking them up on that will take them quite a long way. Well, I mean, I feel like we've um, we've really covered the um, I'd say the totally superficial surface of this um, up to now. And we've been talking for um, around um, 40, 40 minutes, and I feel like uh, before we dive in to that whole next depth, um, we should perhaps uh, just in a way we could make a summary of you know, what we've said, which is, I mean, I, I wouldn't know how to make a summary, but I would say like, number one is there seems to be, your memory seems to almost be a, an access point uh, when you've got particular traumatic things. And we can go into a whole level of, um, what, what, what do I call it? I mean, what do you call that whole level that you can go through through the, we got okay. You know you're back. That's amazing. That's only ever, the moment, ever happened once before. And, the and, moment you said I'm going to make a summary, you started freezing. Ah. Well, would you like to make a summary? I mean, I, I what I'm probably going to do is I'm going to um, I'm probably going to um, put a little. Um, Taylor, uh, like trailer on the end of that and say, we just got cut off because we're actually at the end. And like, it's almost like technology wanted to say, yeah, that's that's where we ended today. Um, and that happened, <laughs> so funny. Um, I did an interview with Russell 
And I don't know Russell uh, before. I just seen him commenting on something in the remote viewing area. And we did this interview and he started telling me these things and he starts talking about aliens. And the moment he talks about it, the TV in his place turns off, like it just sort of shuts down. My internet, uh, and I'm, I'm in uh, you know, a guest house in, in the north of Thailand, the whole of the internet has completely shut down. And it, it was like, wow. And so it was, it was a syn synchronized uh, um, PK, what I would call a psychokinetic experience that our electronics across different parts of the world were both shut down at exactly the same time. I'm like, yeah, that's what I call psychokinetic. So, um, so should we, should we do a little break there? And then we're yeah, okay. Right, let me stop the recording now. What a cool interview. I'm really enjoying it. Um, was a really interesting phenomena that I've had a couple of times of suddenly everything completely breaking down. Um, and uh, so I thought that was interesting because it was, uh, yeah, kind of weird. Uh, it's been fascinating. I can only say that if it's possible to get more fascinating, it does. So check out next week. Next Friday, the next episode of this is coming out. Please do your best to just like Discover Energy Work on YouTube, on Facebook, on Apple, on wherever you are, and give it a thumbs up, and that, that way other people will be able to find it. All right, have a great week, and take care.